It only took me like 20 minutes to figure it out, but I've got all the stats I need. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Uh, for the last 12 minutes, Rihanna has been looking at me trying to figure out how to basically Google things. Cause there's like one last thing that I just couldn't figure out. And I finally gotten it. I finally figured it out. Finally got the results I needed, which I will share in a little bit. Um, but I, I'm like already like mentally drained. I'm trying to figure that shit out. So anyway, welcome back people. What's up, Rihanna? I uh, I got to see for for anyone keeping track at home. I got to see Rihanna in person for the first time in like a month and a half this weekend. So we hung out in person for anyone keeping score, of course. Yeah, I mean I'm always keeping score. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you he's got a counter. Actually, you, can, you and no one can see this because we're on Zoom. But you, I know you have a calendar behind you, and it has like number of days that, that you just have not seen. <laughs> Elliot. So yeah, you, yeah, you have to reset yeah. it to zero now. Just like, just like in the Simpsons with the, the days without an accident thing. <laughs> and it always go back, goes back to zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or or if, if not then, then I'm using those. Do you remember those? Um, This is so obscure. But do you remember, I feel like it was middle school when Axe had like that ad or that camp, that marketing campaign where it was like a clicker. They used to, they had this oh commercial my God. was like, Every yeah. t- it was. I think the commercial was basically like every time a girl like like turned her head, the guy to, to smell him or whatever. He had a clicker. Or yeah. Whatever. yeah. <laughs> I had one of those clickers. I had one. I don't know if it was Axe branded. I don't think it was those, the Axe ones, but I did have one of those clickers. That was wasn't that like a Ben Affleck commercial? It might have been. I I don't remember who the who the actors were in it, but, but oh, I, I actually but, but, I like. I, I vaguely do remember this. <laughs> anyway, I'll um, say that, that I have, have one of those too. I have one of those too for every time I see Ellie. So oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad I'm glad you've uh, reset the pheromones, I guess, for me. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I guess Rian's girlfriend should not be listening to this. So anyway, <laughs> we move we move forward with other topics. Um, but yeah, Rian and I got to watch the AFCON final together, part of it, at least the first half. Uh, which might have been outside of the penalty one, like the most boring halves of football that I think I can remember in the last couple yeah, of months. The, the, um, the entire game, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. But happy for Senegal. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And honestly, outside of that, yeah, we just vibed. And it's been a chill, chill couple of days. I'm going on a vacation for the first time in a while um, to California in a couple of days. I'm very excited about that. I've never been to California. So if anyone listening would like to give me any recs at all, I am more than open to them. Um, please don't send me anywhere that will get me killed. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm hype. Doing a little solo traveling too. A little solo trip. So, so, so for any of you lucky ladies out there who are for <laughs> someone who's just, just going to be there for a weekend, kind of like, uh, like those Instagram models who get flown out to uh oh my god <laughs> by, yeah. by like NBA players at least doing like the reverse he's flying himself out <laughs> uh, I don't even need anybody to ask me to come I'm just gonna go <laughs> because I'm yeah that's so damn confident that I just roll up without, <laughs> without being asked no I'm the equivalent I guess of uh one of those people that you probably see on oh my god this is actually completely relevant to what I was gonna say 
Um, I watched the new Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler, the other night. I don't know if you've been hearing about this. I've been hearing. Oh my goodness, that is like the first thing that just popped in my head. Like it took me for a ride. Like the last twenty-five minutes of that were absurd. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very good. So I'm not saying I'm one of those people. For the record, I just want to clarify that's not the route I'm going down. <laughs> yeah, he's but the it was a good documentary. Uh, Elias is the person who's getting <laughs> swindled, and that's why yeah, he's going out to California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm meeting my new girlfriend that doesn't exist out in California. Of course, of course. So anyway, we we move on beyond the uh, the relationship side of the podcast, which we honestly. There are enough lifestyle and race relationship podcasts in the world that uh, I don't think that's a market that Rihanna and I want to address. So Heavily saturated, yeah. <laughs> Heavily, yeah. <laughs> saturated to say the least. But what we can't talk about is some La Liga soccer, at least, or football. And we can talk about that. Um, one of my favorite topics in life, talking about Barcelona, um, I'm also a big aviation enthusiast to one of my biggest hobbies and then third on that list is probably talking about the trials faults and tribulations of real madrid uh always number three on that list and that's where we're going to start because i put together this part of the outline so unbelievable unbelievable (laughs) that that, the the biggest the best win in a year maybe at least i honestly (laughs) cannot think i can't think of it the best win for barcelona in recent memory where they completely handle and dominate the reigning la liga champions and ellis is trying to move this down he has it last (laughs) on our notes here i'm i can't allow this to happen i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) if you listen if you want to do a last minute audible and change it up i'm fine with that i was saving you know the the best for last but sure we can you want to talk about it first we can talk about it first let's do it the biggest the biggest game of the weekend I mean, maybe the second biggest game in Europe for over the weekend when you factor in the the derby della um, della Madonnina, I think I think that's what it's called the, the Milan derby. Is that the right pronunciation? I think uh, oh, definitely not. But, but the... <laughs> okay, that that was gonna be my only question. <laughs> <laughs> but you can no. you can also just call it the Milano derby. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's also <laughs> good. Yeah, but <laughs> I digress. Um, no, in La Liga. This weekend, we had fifth place at the time, Barcelona, going uh, no home to, to uh, Atletico Madrid, who, we've talked about it, have struggled in their own senses. But Barcelona have also not yet had like that, a win where it felt like the team was coming together in a way, right? And and we saw that this past weekend when Barcelona won 4-2 against Atletico Madrid. It was, a, I mean, a great, great game. Like, a, the, the Milan derby was... For, for was, a neutral, too. Milan right? derby was great because, I mean, Olivier Giroud just came out of, <laughs> just, you know, did his thing. But a genuinely wonderful game of soccer broke out at um, Camp Nou, Elias. And before we get into the Atletico Madrid side of this, because I have more thoughts there, but <laughs> on the Barcelona side, Elias, 
a team that under Xavi, we've seen flashes of what he wants this team to be, of how he wants these players to play, right? But like I said, we haven't seen it all come together in a single game yet. And if it weren't for a red card in this one, we could have seen it for 90 minutes. But um, I was just like, just kind of talk with you like that first half where obviously Barca go down early, right? Um, and then a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful wonderful goal from Jordi Alba this is this is the dichotomy of Jordi Alba he will act like an absolutely spoiled brat like a child and then also play equivalent to how Rian and I played when we were in high school essentially and then the next week he'll go and do that yeah that's that's a dichotomy of that man but please. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the best part of it is the apparently timeless Danny Alves, who for sure had his best game um, since rejoining Barcelona. In that, what, in that what year is this? Just By the way, I'm, I'm just <laughs> honestly wondering while we're talking through this. Like, we're talking, it is. talking about Jordi Alba scoring and Danny Alves with the assist. It's uh, yeah, un- nice to know 2013 is still around. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. It, it's Xavi pulling the strings, but from the sidelines this time. <laughs> uh, but so I, I think um, what we saw from not necessarily a dominating chances point of view, because actually was pretty close in the game, 1.0 to 1.3 for Athletic, 1.0 for Barcelona, 1.3 for Atletico Madrid. But I think what I was most impressed by was the control of the game outside of just the shots and chances created, right? That's, it was, it was kind of a mixed bag of a game for Sergio Busquets, but for the rest of the, the midfield in Barcelona, I thought they played really, really well. And yeah, I, I thought that, there was a lot of really good rotations on that left side of Barcelona. Really, I mean, Adama just kind of held down the right wing on his own, and and he yeah. caused Maria, Mar- Mar- um, Hermoso, Mario Hermoso, so much panic. But I really <laughs> liked what I saw on the on the left side, at least the interchange between Alba and and Frankie De Jong and, uh, and Gabi. And Gabi. Too, yeah. Right, and then even sometimes you'd see Ferran Torres pop up on that left side too to help with the combination play. Like it, it was, it was impressive to see them be able to sustain that pressure against Atletico Madrid. I, even though we know that they do like to sit deep and play on the counter, and and we know that is how how Cholo team plays, but Barcelona did control that game. I thought very very well for about seventy minutes until that that man Danny Alves got himself <laughs> sent off. <laughs> It's the Brazilian hat trick. I think I think I said this on Sunday. It's a, a goal, assist, and a red card. That's that's how they do it in Brazil. Um, but yeah, you you hit on a re- some really really important points, and there were basically three things that really stood out to me about kind of the dominance of Barcelona, right? Like in especially that first half. In the second half, it was more about not conceding. You know, show, you know, seeing the game out, preserving the lead. Which even there, I thought they did 
a fantastic job of, of controlling, especially with 10 men. In that first half, there were kind of three things that I saw Xavi do that were really impressive. One, starting Adama Traore. Let's just start there. And I'm going to be the first to say I did not expect Adama Traore to have this kind of immediate impact. There's no way I would have expected a player that, yes, I understand he is very direct. I understand he likes to take his man on. And I understand he's absolutely a massive human being. But I did not expect for him to have such a positive impact in basically turning Mario Hormoso and Versalico like inside out basically every time he got the ball. And I'm now starting to realize the significance of why maybe Xavi would have wanted him, right? And you saw it in this game. It's his ability to draw defenders away and create space. It's something basically that Usman Dembele can do, but has not produced that much of in his the body last... won't let him do it uh, yeah yes really? uh in, in other words he's been here for four and a half years and his body has not unfortunately allowed him to do that now i now it makes more sense to me why what adama's role in this team might be that's number one number two you kind of hit on this a little bit but danny elvez played a really interesting role in this game he didn't just play as a right back he played as what in possession <laughs> the right side of a double pivot in possession. And I think that was a really interesting move by Chavi because it basically, once Atleto kind of, kind of reverted back to a back five after Adama was just causing fits and was double teamed, I think it allowed Busquets to really serve as a midfield focal point farther up into the final third. What that meant is Frankie de Jong was now playing in a more natural position that he's used to. And he drove forward rather than being a more of a static character in the final third, kind of on the left-hand side. So that leads to my third point is the interchange on the left wing, right? With Jordi Alba, Gavi, and Frankie de Jong, right? The reason they were able to combine is because Frankie de Jong made a lot of deep runs, right? From, from deep and on, onto the left-hand channel, Gavi found his way through that header, basically as a result of some of that interchange that made its way over to the right right wing of course across from Adama beautifully done and again some of what we're seeing with this Barcelona midfield is actually like coming to fruition now like you can see that there are pieces there and I'm not one to be overly bullish about one game but I think this game I'll wrap it up with this thought was the perfect encapsulation of what Barcelona been going through this season an xg of one on the dot and scoring four goals is the polar opposite of what has happened to this team over the entire season. They have been unbelievably unlucky with finishing, unbelievably unlucky with saves and shots. And I think Rian can tell me otherwise, but they have underperformed their XG significantly this season. Um, and I think this was literally the <laughs> compensation for all of that. <laughs> I mean, you can even go back to last season too, right? But but if you're just thinking about this season, totally like they're, they are third, fourth, sorry, fourth in, in XG this in La Liga. And yet they only just this past weekend start to overperform, right? Like they going into this weekend, they were below their XG for the season. Now they are one goal above it. So it's literally just from this past weekend. And even if you go back to last season with how amazing Lionel Messi was, I mean, Barcelona led the league nxg and only overperformed it because of 
Lionel Messi. Like that is Basically, the only reason yeah. like, that they weren't getting it from from any other source last year. So it's really encouraging to see this and it was really fun to watch Adama Traore this game it was, it was like it was I was like giddy everything about it it was like you said you saw this more last season in his Wolves in his really good season for Wolves last year where he can just cause so much havoc in the sense of totally disorienting the other team defensively, right? Like we talk a lot about systems and we talk a lot about you know, players who are able to like move intelligently off the ball, right? But this is kind of the cheat code. This is like the trump card here when you have a guy who can draw two or three defenders. And that itself creates space for everyone else right? without without having to do it off the ball. And so I think that's a really interesting wrinkle into Barcelona's season now for the rest of for the rest of the season. Um, we saw Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang get a cameo at the end there, too. Um, well, also, he also played relatively well for the role that yeah. I mean, again, he is not entirely fit, obviously has had heart problems as it relates to COVID. So I think it's important to be cognizant of that. But played a very, very important role still in pressing high, forcing Atletico. And this is one comment I, I'll move to now in a second, but I think Aubameyang did a really good job and honestly could have had a goal himself. Um, we need to have a very serious conversation about Oblak. And I know I mentioned this at, I think, the midway point of the season a couple of weeks ago, but Oblak has statistically been the worst goalkeeper in La Liga and I don't know what's changed right from a defensive standpoint they are still conceding fewer goals than expected and they are I believe leading the league still in least number of goals conceded but All Black has been saving significantly less shots and they're not they're not necessarily better shots that um, he's letting in that I think has been a massive source and not to say that Oblak black could have saved all four goals, right? Like that, that is absolutely not what I'm saying, but I think this has been a very consistent problem this season. And for a man who was considering a transfer last summer, not, not a great look. <laughs> no, no, you, you, I mean that to, to move on to the Atletico side of this, like that, that was really what the conversation has to be about. It's not just Oblak, but they're defending or they're, concession of goals is probably a better way to put it um this season which has just been so starkly different to last season you said it uh, going into this weekend um the analyst slash opta who who i told Ellie actually rebranded at the end of last year wrote an article about how leaky atletico madrid's defense has been this season compared to any other diego simeone team right um speaking specifically on Oblak, you said it he has one of the worst save percentages in the league he's only stopped 48 percent of shots going going to this past weekend and i'm sure it didn't get any better <laughs> i'm sure that probably dipped a little bit um yep. but yeah he had the worst save percentage and we've talked a little bit of, i think about um expected goals on target and i, I think i've written about it in our newsletter before just kind of like just the best way for us to 
best way right now for us to judge goalkeepers, which is a model that looks at where the shots are actually placed and on average, how do other goalkeepers deal with them? And he's been one of the worst this season, Jan Oblak. And, and that's really, really surprising when you look at how good he's been for the last four years. So that's one part of it. The other part too is Atleti's defense is not necessarily poor in the sense of, of creation of, of chances that they're allowing, right? But it's they have conceded more goals than in previous years. And their differential between goals and expected goals allowed is the worst it's ever been for Diego Simeone through 21 La Liga matches. It, it, that, that is where I, I tweeted about it. I, I asked a question or kind of posed a question that is this, are they actually worse at defending or are they worse at defending in their box? And then I know that sounds pretty simple. Like, yeah, no, obviously they're worse <laughs> at defending in their box. Like, obviously, but I mean that in the sense of, these Atletico teams in the past have been so good at defending their own penalty box that that's why they've been able to play the way that they play under Diego Simeone. And I mean that in the sense of getting headers out of the box that are crossed. I mean, blocking shots at the right time. I mean, Jan Oblak scoring, like saving shots. Um, Atletico's... It's all like seemingly combining at the wrong time. Exactly, exactly. And, and and we saw a couple of them this past weekend, crosses that were an issue for uh, Atletico. And this season, they've been terrible, terrible on crosses. Um, they've, In terms of all competitions, 10 of 38 assists have come from crosses against them. 80% of those have been headers. <laughs> it's The fact that they lost a header to Gavi, I mean blessed yeah but that that's not the, the guy to thing. lose a header to it, it, it's <laughs> and the amount of space i mean granted amazing shot from Jordi Alba, but the amount of space that Jordi Alba found himself in when uh when danny Alves crossed it to him is really poor from a defending point of view and that's where I, what i mean by i they're just worse at defending their own box right now which is really not what you'd expect from from an athletic side that's so true yeah i mean there's something I think that's been lost in this team this season specifically. They are, to be, to be fair, the last season when they won, won the title, they were not like a defensive team, right? That's not at all, I think, what we're saying, but they have lost some of the ability that they had in years prior that made them such a strong competitive team. And it was that ability to keep out good chances and also for Oblak to block good chances. They're not big margins granted normally in this case, they are large margins and even the finest of margins in the top four matter. That's why they're currently in fifth. Like I think that alone is why they're in fifth. You could point to Suarez for the first time in eight games scoring something like that, but I don't think that that's been their biggest problem. I think it's the fact that they get behind in games and they have to crawl them their way back, just like they did against Valencia. And that's like in the 90th minute is when they like finally realize, oh shit, okay, we have to do something about this. So that's Atletico in a nutshell this season. Um, I didn't realize how much fun I'd, I'd have talking about 
Atletico and Barcelona too uh, versus Real Madrid. So thank you for in- indulging me. Indulging. You were about to just kind of gloss over it at the end. We were going to spend like probably five minutes on it. <laughs> I know. I know. I wanted to almost save this for, for best for last, but it's a good point. And in the interest of time, let's move on Rian to Real Madrid briefly. Um, a team that in the last few games, I'm, I don't know. I'm curious. I, I wonder if you think that they're stuttering a bit. They are running into roadblocks. Now, granted, we're talking about a team that is missing their best player, Karim Benzema, who is a doubt for Villarreal and also maybe a doubt for the game against PSG. Vinicius did not play this past weekend, also returning from international duty. I mean, we're talking about the Brazilians who came back from international duty, having played 48 hours before the game against Granada, basically. So I, I get why they're being rested and not playing as much. Real Madrid had to field a starting lineup or starting front three of Asensio, Isco, and I believe Rodrigo in in their game against Granada. And uh, that's not probably your your star gala 11, as they call it. So I guess my question is, they almost lost to Elche twice, right? Once in, in Copa del Rey and, and once in La Liga. They were knocked out by Bilbao in the cup and they have arguably their biggest and most difficult game of the season against PSG coming up. So what do you make of kind of this form? And I'm, I'm curious, I know we'll plug it at the end a little bit, but Rian does have a newsletter coming out soon about his champions league predictions and what they could possibly hold for beyond the round of 16. I think this is a good way of at least previewing it in terms of predictions for Real Madrid and PSG. I, st- stuttering like first of all great plug elias I, yeah seamless <laughs> well well done beautiful hands <laughs> hats off to you um <clears throat> on the real madrid side part of me is not surprised that they are squeaking behind a few of these games because i think we talked about about it in the first half of the seasons that they were kind of running hot in terms of their like underlying numbers and being carried by the unstoppable Karen Benzema and a breakout season from Vinny. Whereas like the rest of the team, it, look, we know that midfield is still on its day, the best probably midfield three in the world, like, realistically. Um, but there are other parts of the team that feel like it's not Real Madrid standards, if that makes sense. Right. So <clears throat> I, I think if they might win the league by maybe 10 points, eight, eight, 10 points, that, that's still possible. <clears throat> but I don't think they're ever going to look that great <laughs> doing it, to, if I'm being honest. We, we saw a team that is now six points up on second place. Uh, and they've struggled against teams that are not as good as that. Like, I know we just gave a lot of love to Barcelona, but they struggled in, those, in that Copa game. And they've struggled against Barcelona each time they've played them this season. And we know the situation of that team. Like That's right, not a right. good sign going into... A Champions League tie against, granted, another team that has its own just 
well, it's just dysfunctional, period. But in PSG, <laughs> like, I was, was going to say it has its own dysfunction, but it just, that is how they operate. Um, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't bode well for their Champions League aspirations. I'll put it that way. They don't feel like one of the four best teams, definitely not one of the four best teams in Europe. And they feel like borderline five or six. Like it's, it feels just as likely that this team gets knocked out in the quarterfinal. Um, so I don't know. The, the, I mean, there's there's a very good chance that they don't make a pass around a sixteen. Very uh, very good well. chance. Like even yes yes yeah. I should say like that. Even if they get past PSG, and, yeah. and then I look back, I think which, two. which by the way, the narratives we have not even discussed about that tie. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if we got PSG it all next week, we got out. it all next weekend. We got to say, oh, we got to save it. We, we got it all next week. We got it all next week. We'll do a little, do a little preview for the games next week. And, and yeah, yes, we've got, I'm excited. That's I mean, all. I'm excited. Everyone wins. Everyone wins from that Real Madrid PSG tie outside of Real Madrid or PSG fans. So I I think just to answer your question, I, I'm not too su- concerned even. I'm not even concerned necessarily from a league point of view. Um, but when you bring up the Champions League, yes, I, I just don't think this Real Madrid team is good enough to win two win two rounds, really. Um as you said, I think they could just they could very easily get kicked out by uh, PSG, but this doesn't feel like a team that's really close to let's say even the three in England or Bayern. No, or yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think they could just if, if Inter by miracle make it through, not not by miracle, I should say, but if Inter get past Liverpool <laughs> by by some small yeah. miracle, um, I could even see Inter knocking them out. So it's like. This this team doesn't feel like any Real Madrid teams in the past because you don't feel like this team could beat anyone on their day necessarily. But true, no. yeah. If they have, if they have Benzema and Vinicius healthy, like they've shown that that those guys can take over a game on their own, and that's kind of what is the reason why they're in the position they are in the league. I will make. I will. This is the last thing I'll say about Real Madrid. They are currently 10 players plus one star in Benzema. And I don't think you can win the Champions League doing that. Unless that one is Lionel Messi, basically. <laughs> Almost wow. did it a couple the Vinicius years ago. But... Erasure. No, it's, <laughs> again, levels, levels, man, levels. <laughs> God, We're, we move, we move. I'm done with Real Madrid. That's my plug for them. Real, let's talk about Sevilla. Because um, they're still in second. Had a chance to go... Within one point of Real Madrid this weekend, Ivan Rakitic missing a penalty in the literally the last minute of the game against Osasuna to take them potentially within a point. Have they also been stuttering a little bit, right? They drew to Celta Vigo, uh, a game that they were losing significantly. And then that draw against Osasuna nil-nil really could have been their saving grace. And now they're kind of in a tough spot, right? Between now and the end of the season, because in a world where Real Madrid don't go on to like the final of the Champions League, that's really all Real Madrid will have left to fight for is La Liga. So what do you, I'm, I'm just curious, Sevilla, 
are we bullish or are we bearish? I think we're pretty bearish on, on Sevilla. <laughs> Another team that if you thought that Real Madrid were running hot in terms of their underlying metrics, Sevilla is ninth in the league in terms of expected goals at 27. They've, but they've scored 34. Um, their defending has been what's kept them in the title race for now, right? But they've <laughs> haven't won a game by at least two goals since November 7th. <laughs> Every game since that has either been a draw or some one nil or two one win. Like they've really been edging a lot of these games. So this feels probably more a regression to the mean that we're seeing in these last three games with three straight draws. This, this, this is kind of, this almost ties into the Real Madrid part of this is like where, where Madrid doesn't need to be dominant to win the league this season. And they haven't been by any sense of the word. And Sevilla don't need to be, amazing to finish second even and i'm not going to say yet that i think they'll finish second because i as much as ellis will try to keep putting barcelona down on our um on our agenda for episodes i it's it's very conceivable that that someone can catch sevilla in second and they're they're also just not a not a team that that feels like (laughs) that feels like a champions league um team like an established champions league team which is what you should see in a second place team that is seven points above third and six points below first like they're in a weird spot they're in a bit of a weird spot um and they've definitely benefited from a very very tough start to the season first (laughs) half of the season from barcelona and atletico yeah and and i will say i don't know how much we're going to see a regression to the mean in the top four, not necessarily as it even relates to Sevilla, because at this point there really may only be one additional spot up for grabs in the top four. And we'll talk about the team that's kind of holding that one spot uh, hostage, but that fourth spot is probably going to be one of Barcelona or Atletico. And no one really knows there are massive implications if either do not make the champions league uh, just so as people know, both of those clubs budget as if they will make the Champions League, and that is very important, um, as well as in terms of player attraction, things like that. So as it, as it relates to Sevilla, yeah, I think, yes, they're not necessarily an established Champions League team. Yes, they are probably still not going to win the league, uh, bar some sort of fluke, you know, a couple of results from Real Madrid. But the fact that they're even in this conversation more than halfway through the season in and of itself has to be applauded. It does. And, and it's, it's, a, it's still a very good coaching job by Julian Lopetegui. And this team is very possession conscious and, and try to control games in that way. They, they just don't quite have the talent, I think, to, to control games from through the midfield, through their attacking force. And granted, a lot of that has to do with missing Enesiri for so much of this season. Like, the guy was on fire last season for Sevilla, and he's been a huge miss. Um, 
we'll see how Anthony Martial fits into this team, but did not have a good debut. Let me just throw that yeah. out. <laughs> one one for the United fans listening. I really expected better of him. Played, I think, 77 minutes, zero shots, obviously zero goals, uh, nothing on shots on goal. Like, not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of like there, there's a ceiling with this team. Like, they're kind True. of they're kind of um banking on Anthony Martial maybe rejuvenating himself and raising the ceiling of the team but outside of that they're um they're overachieving by a lot right now I, I believe so sustainable I'm I'm pretty bearish on that part of it for them but <laughs> But, That's fair. I'll give you but, that. I'll give you that. You, like you said, I mean, that, that second place is they're, they're 11 points up on Atleti, who sit in fifth. And I can't see any world where Atletico make up 11 points in 15 games. Uh, so, <laughs> so you're right. It's, it is really about who can get in three teams fighting for third slash fourth, right? So true. So true. Well, Brian, one last duo of teams in La Liga that I want to touch on and we'll take a quick break. Real Sociedad and the team that I just mentioned that is basically only everyone else hostage in third, Real Betis, a team that has been flying this season under, um, oh my God, I almost said Pochettino Pellegrini. <laughs> very, two very different managers. <clears throat> but we didn't get a chance to talk about this game a week or two ago where Real Batiste played Real Sociedad in the Copa del Rey. Batiste won 4-0, a Juanmi brace. And at no point in this game did I think that Real Sociedad were in it. It was shocking how poor Real Sociedad played. And we're talking about a team who started off the season, if you can remember, literally talking about potentially finishing top four like they're the for the first time I really felt like this team had all of the pieces to do that you had some combination of basically Yanuzai plus whenever David Silva feels like playing and Alexander Isak like those three alone convinced me that okay maybe this is going somewhere and it's just fallen off dramatically then again, I think it's also important to point out that we're talking about a Real Batiste side who is overperforming in every category. And at this point, this is a statistic that took me forever to find, but I found it. They were in seventh, eighth going on seventh at this point last year in La Liga, and they are currently comfortably in third. So... I don't know. Com- I'm com- not, not super comfortable. I mean, not, not super at, comfortable. Look at Ellie's again, trying to downplay <laughs> the Barcelona team. I see what you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's basically what you've done with Chelsea for the last it's like, a reverse two games. years. I, I know them better than anyone else. <laughs> no, but honestly, I have to give props to Robotis and, and, I guess I don't really know what's going wrong with Real Sociedad. They've just fallen off so dramatically. Again, there have been injuries here and there, but it's not like this team has dramatically shifted. I just, I'm, I'm like sad for them, honestly. It's, it's very sad because they, they looked 
especially to the start of this season, right? Like the fall off has been dramatic. And I know that injuries had a part to play in that for sure, but it is dramatic. And, and you look at where this team was at the end of last season, um, or not the end of last season, I should say, uh, was it was it last season that Mikel that that Odegaard left for Arsenal at the end of last season? Is that is that right? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, said, I guess really where this team was two seasons ago when, yeah, when he was in ago. the team, and it looked like if they were able to keep him, and then David Silva come in, and they had Alexander Isak, it, it felt like a team that could not necessarily finish top four but push for those positions and, and to be fair to them they are still pushing for it they're they are only five points off of Real Betis and they have a game in hand um but you're right it's it's been a it's been disappointing in the sense of how well they started the season right honestly I I don't I, like I I honestly think it's like a confidence thing I don't think it comes down to anything like coaching anything related to players availability like it's it, yeah that's that's the only thing I can legitimately think of so just wanted to point that out um I'm very curious to see how far Real Betis can can take this our wonderful Seville club but with that Rian I want to take a break and we'll talk a little bit about the FA Cup games let's talk a little bit about the AFCON final and uh I don't know maybe next week we'll talk about the Champions League with Riyadh's newsletter available to all. Start the scene out. We're sitting in Dakar. It's February 2022. All eyes are on one man, one Senegalese god of a man, Sadio Mane. Three seconds later, joyous eruptions. The country of Senegal goes wild. Liverpool have won the champion. No, I'm kidding. So we're going to talk about the AFCON final. Uh, of course, Senegal beating Egypt on penalties. In I think I, I forget if I said this to Rihanna offline or it was like the beginning of the podcast, already, but one of the most boring games uh, in recent memory, not overtly entertaining other than the penalty that Sadio Mane missed in the beginning of the game. Um, relatively, relatively scrappy game. Um, but nonetheless, a very significant, very, very significant result. Senegal's first ever AFCON uh, win, a tournament that saw the likes of Cameroon, Algeria, Nigeria, all get knocked out on seemingly bizarre losses. Um, and bizarre runs, especially Algeria at that team. Um, but Rian, let's talk about the AFCON final. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that this is Senegal's first ever continental trophy. How, what, like, what do you make of this for Senegal? And then I kind of want to talk a little bit about Egypt and Mosala too, because I was, I was really just disappointed to see that he did not take a penalty and tried to the whole go for glory route, which just, I'm not a fan of. Uh, for, from the Senegal point of view, like this has been for at least like three or four years now. 
at worst, the second or third most talented team in Africa, right? And we saw them come up short against Algeria in the last Africa Cup of Nations. But this team, I'm very happy that they won because mostly because of the style of play that Egypt was played in the entire tournament where it's very, very, um, very like an imitation of Atletico Madrid, but way worse because it was just, <laughs> I know the people on Twitter like to say uh, cross and inshallah. It was literally Salah and inshallah. Like for the entire tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, we've re- we've reached the point where Brian has started to use football Twitter slogans as it relates to these games that I'm so here for. I can't it. even take uh, that one as an original. I saw someone else say that and I was like, this actually works well <laughs> because <laughs> because it's actually someone who's Muslim and Salah. So this is actually clever. But um True. Yeah, from the from the from the Senegal side. Really, really, really happy for that team because like look at the players there. Kaladu Koulibaly, who's been quietly one of Europe's best center backs for six years, Four five years. Like like maybe yeah. five years at least. Um this a team that also had Idrissa Ganagay, who I have definitely ragged on a few times before, but still a very good midfielder. And then, honestly, like this game, I can't. I could be wrong, but I, I think Ishmael Assar really only played a couple games in this tournament because of an injury, and and Watford was doing everything they could to keep him um, from going to Afcon. But he was a menace in the first half of this game, and just the raw athleticism with his with his quality out wide. I think Mane could have scored a couple times in the first half outside of that penalty um, from SARS crosses, but honestly, really, really happy for Senegal to win this game because of the the actual talent of the team. This, this felt like if there was going to be a winner outside of those names that you mentioned earlier that got knocked out and prematurely and way early than we thought, um, this felt like the next best team. And I'm happy that they were able to get their first uh, AFCON win. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if there's much more to say other than there's something really, really to love about like, so people always talk about how like Conte, right, is, N'Golo Conte specifically is just like a wonderful human being, which there's like a weird football Twitter obsession with him and like every face he makes, which is just bizarre. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, it gets a little weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's just generally speaking, he's a wonderful person. Um, just of how, because of how humble he is, how much humility he has. I feel like Sadio Mane has the same thing, right? He's someone who's not like very flashy. Like said many, many times, like I prefer to spend my money on like people and like my community and things like that. And not say other people do not, but I think that's such a proverbial part of his set of values and it's just really really rewarding and really warm to see someone like that um succeed so honestly just happy for him i guess that's that's a simple way of putting it so after i guess everything afcon related rian why don't we talk about the fa cup um i would like to to speak exclusively 
about Manchester United, and um, <laughs> then we can end the podcast. That's fine. With me. <laughs> so that, that's I think that's the right place to start. We're going back to last Friday. and end end just for the record. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> Man- Manchester United getting knocked out by Middlesbrough in penalties in a game where they actually completely dominated the game. Oh, 100%. And, and, and for the first time in a while, it was a game where United actually played very well. And you can say, oh, they're actually kind of unlucky to lose that game until they followed it up today with the same exact thing against Burnley, where they dominate the first half, don't score. And then, and then I, I, I'll tell you this right now, Elias, after today's game, I don't think I can defend Harry Maguire again. I watched oh, I watched no. I watched like the extended highlights off of, like one of the subreddits that, that does like 30, 30 minute highlights, watched extended highlights of that game. And I like almost yelled when they when um they conceded the goal to Burnley because Maguire was just <laughs> like all over the place. But anyway, um So you admit it. He's no. not a great center back. Uh, okay, he's not great. <laughs> I'll give. I'll. He's in That's terrible form. He's not. He's not the player that that he most definitely was last season and the season before that. But whatever. Um, it's it's a weird one for United because I think their last two games are probably arguably their two best performances under Rangnick so far, and they got a 1-1 draw in both of them and you know this silly silly sport right um <laughs> but, but outside of that at least we all saw West Ham get knocked out by Kidderminster a team playing in the seventh tier of England West Ham needed a 91st minute goal from Declan Rice in in normal time after going down 1-0 to Kidderminster and then they needed a 121st minute goal from Jared Bowen to end up finally winning the game and late, late shows for a, a few of the um, Premier League teams. And we saw at Chelsea almost having to go to penalties against Plymouth Argyle. Um, but the redemption arc continues. He is... I, He's a penalty master now, dude. I guess I guess that's how it goes. We're gonna go to the World Cup 2022. We'll see Luis Enrique pull uh Louis Van Hall in 2014 and sub in Keppa at the in a penalty shootout, maybe. That would be really funny. On on the list of worst ideas ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no, Chelsea end up getting away with a very meh performance against Plymouth Argyle. Um and I think the one other big upset from this weekend, we saw Nottingham Forest win 4-1 against Leicester City. They're up 3-0 after 35 minutes. And Leicester just look, you know, from being so close the last two seasons to making the top four, um, it just looks like they they hit the ceiling, really. And And... Definitely benefited from dysfunction from uh, around the other, the big six teams. But this season, they've really kind of regressed. And, and it's, it's a bit disappointing because it still feels like there are some very good players on that team and, and um, on their day can beat anyone. But they're just not 
at the same consistency level that they were for those two seasons. And I guess that's maybe to be expected when you look at the size of a club like Leicester, right? True. True. Yeah. Honestly, I guess what's most disappointing about Leicester specifically I'll, I'll touch on is I feel like Brendan Rogers has been equally as much of like a fall from grace as like we were talking about with like real Sociedad, for example, like it's something I can't explain. It's something where like the environment around him hasn't necessarily changed. It's just that there's a lack of confidence and a lack of belief now in both him and the other Spanish team I just mentioned, but focusing on Leicester, like that's the only thing that's changed in the last six months. And I don't know how you jumpstart that for a manager who was quite literally linked with the Manchester United job a couple of months ago. I, I just, I, I have a lot of empathy for, for him, I guess, because he's clearly a very, very good manager. Like, I, I don't know if anyone doubts that. I don't think so, but I feel like they just need one thing to go right right now. Yeah. It's it, they're in a really tough run right now and they desperately desperately need um Wesley Fofana to come back and be healthy and I mean and be the player that he looked like last season where we were all like okay he's probably like a year away from getting picked up by a team fighting for titles and Champions League titles really so yeah does any I mean do we know when he's gonna come back that's a great question. I yeah, he I mean, broke I don't his, know how his, his he broke his leg at the beginning of the season, and yeah, I without knowing anything, I would assume it's probably got maybe another month or so on the hopeful side. Um, One but, can hope, but we'll see. Um, they they desperately need him back because this Sayanchu Amarte <laughs> pairing has been dismal, um, to say the least. <laughs> I feel like it's like hurting you to even watch that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not pretty. Now that I think about it, you're you're 100 right. So, anyway, any other uh, Premier League or FA Cup matches? Anything about a Burnley United you'd want to mention? No, nothing. Other than oh, no, no, nothing, nothing more than <laughs> United. Uh, there was a big win today for Newcastle, though, beating Everton and slowly but surely making their way it's crawling their way back up um that that should be very fun for the the relegation battle should be fun for the rest of the season but outside that at least now nothing else um you you already touched on it a couple times we have our newsletter next edition of our newsletter coming out next week and it'll be focused around our not just my predictions but at least his predictions as well and we're going to also send out a little poll to everyone out there to get their predictions as well and, and see what our listeners are thinking about um, the round of 16 matchups. So. I, I, honestly, I'm more excited to read what Rian has to say because uh, I have my own thoughts, and but Rian has more data and statistics than I ever put in. I just put vibes into my analysis. So with that, we'll leave it there. We'll catch up with you guys sometime next week around when the Champions League games kick off either thereafter or right before we move. Anyway, talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.